From the Heart.org Radio, this is The Fellow's Corner. Hello and welcome to The Fellow's Corner at TheHeart.org. My name is Ravi Shah and I'm a first-year fellow at the Massachusetts General Hospital in the Division of Cardiology. And it is our pleasure today to speak with Dr. Mark J. Semigrant, who is an Associate Professor of Medicine and the Medical Director of Advanced Heart Failure and Cardiac Transplantation at MGH. Welcome, Dr. Semigrant. Thanks, Ravi. Today we're going to be discussing several different topics, most prominently Dr. Semigrand's seminal work in pulmonary vasoconstriction in advanced heart failure syndromes, and then we'll move on to speak a little bit more about the work that he's currently doing and uh, the new CHF transplantation certification, how that's going to impact fellows' training and future career prospects. Okay, so why don't we start off by talking about the significance of secondary pulmonary hypertension and chronic LV systolic heart failure. Well, Ravi, our group has had a longstanding interest in the role of right ventricular function in patients with heart failure, both those patients that have left ventricular systolic dysfunction and those that might have heart failure with a preserved left ventricular ejection fraction, or HEFPEF as it's known in the uh, current lingo. We think that the right ventricle plays an important role in maintaining cardiac performance, both at rest and during exercise in patients with left ventricular dysfunction. But it's hard to talk about the right ventricle in isolation because it is very closely linked with the pulmonary circulation and the development of secondary pulmonary vasoconstriction that can occur in patients who have elevated left ventricular filling pressures. And therefore, when we began investigating right ventricular function, we soon realized that we needed to investigate the pulmonary vasculature as well. There was a study that was done by Tom DeSalvo of our group when he was a fellow that looked at patients referred with advanced heart failure and found that once the left ventricular ejection fraction fell below 25%, that right ventricular function was a far more important predictor of exercise capacity than was left ventricular ejection fraction. That has led our group to investigate therapies that might alleviate the pulmonary vasoconstriction that occurs in patients with left heart failure. And in particular, that has led our group to look at the nitric oxide signaling pathway. We started by the direct administration of inhaled nitric oxide to patients with left heart failure. And that was a study that was led by Todd Kohling when he was a fellow here in the heart failure section. He now heads the heart failure program at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And what Todd found that in those patients that had pulmonary hypertension, which he defined as a resting pulmonary artery pressure of greater than 25 millimeters of mercury, that inhaled nitric oxide improved exercise capacity by approximately 20%. Now, you know, we can't exactly propose that patients strap a tank of nitric oxide to their backs and that's actually going to improve either their exercise capacity or their quality of life. So we've been investigating other interventions in nitric oxide signaling that might perform just as well. So it sounds like phosphodiesterase 5 inhibition has become a forefront of your research efforts so far. Do we have any preliminary clinical data that suggests that phosphodiesterase 5 inhibition might be useful in patients with chronic LV systolic dysfunction? 
Well, yes, Ravi, as I think everyone knows, phosphodiesterase 5 or PDE5 inhibitors, as we call them, have been marketed by pharmaceutical companies for a number of years now for the treatment of erectile dysfunction. And these agents work by inhibiting the um, hydrolysis of the second messenger of nitric oxide signaling, and that is cyclic GMP. We uh, began with some studies of the acute administration of a PD-5 inhibitor, sildenafil, to patients with heart failure, and we studied the hemodynamic effects, and we found that, indeed, pulmonary vasodilation took place, and there was actually a selective effect on the pulmonary vasculature relative to the systemic vasculature in patients with left heart failure with a decrease in pulmonary vascular resistance and an improvement in resting cardiac output. We then looked at the acute effects of these agents when patients exercised and found that only in those patients that had pulmonary vasoconstriction, again defined as a mean PA pressure greater than 25 millimeters of mercury, was there an effect on exercise capacity and there was acutely approximately a 15% improvement. We then went on, and Ravi, I believe you were part of this study, where we looked at the effects of chronic administration of the PD-5 inhibitor sildenafil on patients with heart failure. We did a randomized placebo-controlled trial and again found that relative to placebo, there were improvements in exercise capacity, both as measured by cardiopulmonary exercise testing, as well as by six-minute walk distance, as well as improvements in quality of life in these patients over a 12-week period. We measured hemodynamics at rest and during exercise in these patients and found improvements in the pulmonary vasoconstriction. There was less pulmonary vasoconstriction during exercise in the patients that were taking the PD-5 inhibitor than those that were on placebo. Other labs as well have found similar results. Marco Guazzi in Milan, Italy, has administered the PD-5 inhibitor sildenafil to heart failure patients for 24 weeks and found sustained improvements in exercise capacity and in ventilatory efficiency. And Bailing and colleagues in Brazil found, again, improvements in exercise capacity in their study of heart failure patients. So given that preliminary evidence on PD-5 inhibition and chronic LV systolic dysfunction, are there any other larger trials of PD-5 inhibition planned for the horizon to confirm these initial studies in a much larger patient cohort? Well, one study that we're uh, participating in as members of the NHLBI Heart Failure Network is the RELAX trial. And in that study, we're trying to extend our observation with uh, patients with left ventricular systolic dysfunction and heart failure to patients that have HEFPEF, heart failure with a preserved ejection fraction. And we're currently enrolling, again, in a randomized placebo-controlled trial patients in that study, as are the other eight regional research centers in the network, again, with the primary endpoint of seeing if there's a change in exercise capacity after a 24-week period. Are there any other different modalities targeting the nitric oxide pathway that you're currently investigating to address secondary pulmonary hypertension? Is there anything else that's on the horizon Mm -hmm. uh, that might address this? 
There are agents other than nitric oxide that activate guanylate cyclase, and some of those have been developed in phase one trials have shown that they're safe and that they do have hemodynamic efficacy at dilating um, both the pulmonary and the systemic circulations. And we want to go on and look and see, do they improve hemodynamics and quality of life in a larger population of patients with left ventricular dysfunction and pulmonary vasoconstriction? It sounds incredibly interesting, and it's a field of research that I hope to be part of. Hopefully, uh, we can work together mm-hmm. as the years go on to try to make this connection and therapeutic implications. So let's change gears for a second now. One of the most interesting things that's happened over the last one or two years actually has been the approval by the ABIM of CHF and advanced heart failure and transplantation specifically as its own field. And now from what I understand, and Dr. Sembergrant, you can give us a little bit more insight into this, is there's a separate certification process and examination and training process that fellows are going to have to undertake if they do wish to pursue this field in the future. Can you shed a little bit of light for us and the other fellows who frequent the heart.org who are interested in CHF and transplant, what this might entail and what this means for the future of heart failure and transplant? Certainly, Ravi. I mean, I think that for a number of years, um, we've realized that physicians and cardiologists in particular that have special training in heart failure and um, have knowledge of advanced techniques to treat these patients, such as mechanical circulatory support and transplantation, really do bring something additional to the care of the heart failure patient. And as you are thinking of, as I know a number of other fellows are, that a full year of training has become almost the norm for cardiology uh, fellows that want to go on in this field, um, be they running transplant programs or heart failure programs, or just to be locally recognized as a specialist in the care of these patients. Because of this, a group of us applied to the ABIM and subsequently were recognized by both the American Board of Internal Medicine and the Graduate Medical Education Certifying Group that a heart failure subspecialty would be created. So what is going to happen is that there are criteria being drawn up for the training of a heart failure subspecialist that programs will be asked to set up curricula that meet these criteria. They will then be accredited by the ACGME and fellows who complete these programs will be eligible to take the heart failure transplantation certifying exam. Now, that training is going to entail both training in advanced heart failure and transplantation. Is that correct? Yes. Certification process? There is a specific requirement that fellows have several months of experience taking care of patients that are being evaluated for transplantation, that are undergoing transplantation, and that are receiving care after transplantation. It's not expected that everybody that um, is certified in heart failure and transplantation is going to necessarily practice at a heart transplant center, but we think that heart failure specialists should really be quite familiar with both what it takes to be an appropriate recipient of a cardiac transplant as well as the um, post-transplant care. Now, I guess one of the questions that has been on a lot of fellows' minds in my discussions with other fellows in our programs and other programs has been what the benefit of being certified in heart failure and transplant might be, given that for years now we've had 
heart failure specialists who are wonderfully trained in the field but don't have formal certification. Can you shed some light for us what the benefits might be and the implications for job prospects moving mm-hmm. forward? Well, I think that many institutions, particularly those that see significant numbers of heart failure patients, are going to recognize the added value that heart failure specialists bring to their institutions in terms of both taking care of patients as well as guiding programmatic decisions designed to improve the quality of care of these patients, decisions that can design programs for ambulatory monitoring, that can design programs to optimize the care of patients that are admitted with acute decompensated heart failure. Those are just two of the examples. And I think that institutions are going to require this type of certification in the um, future of physicians that are going to be either leading programs or spending the large majority of their time taking care of these patients. Sounds like a wonderful opportunity moving forward for all of us who are interested in heart failure and transplant. I guess one of the final questions that I'd ask, given your experience in research and the clinical heart failure, is any advice that you might want to give to fellows who want to pursue this field, either clinically or both in the clinical and research realms. Do you have any advice for us moving forward? Well, you know, Ravi, I think that research in cardiac function and in heart failure, you know, extends from very basic research into understanding stem cell physiology and cardiomyocyte physiology, as you know, up to the point of doing large population studies of identifying patients at risk of the development of heart failure and potentially markers to identify patients that are at particular risk with the mechanistic studies that you and I have done together also occupying an important place in the realm as well. So I think that fellows that want to go on to an investigative career in heart failure should, you know, identify where their skills are and where their interests are and decide do they want to spend a a period of time in the basic lab investigating the molecular biology of cardiac function? Do they want to go on, if they're interested in clinical research, in learning the tools and the techniques of clinical research, perhaps taking additional courses there or, or even a program through a local school of public health that will give them the tools in clinical research. Thanks so much for your time, Dr. Semigran. We've been speaking with Dr. Mark Semigran, who is an Associate Professor of Medicine and the Director of Advanced Heart Failure and Cardiac Transplantation at Mass General Hospital. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ravi. You've been listening to The Fellows Corner on the heart.org radio.